Okay. Welcome, everyone, to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space uh, with my favorite co-host on the planet, Carrie Smith. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Carter. Um, I learned that we're supposed to wait for like 60 seconds at least before we get into anything real. Uh, oh, okay. Because people like take time to join. I read a book. Okay. And, uh, apparently, we're not supposed to just start having interesting conversations. Uh, so can you say something boring for us? Something boring. Hmm. Uh, well, we can talk about Halloween. That's not boring. But we can talk about... No, something. that's not boring at all. But you can tell people about your... I'm looking at a picture. Actually, everyone can go look at this picture on Twitter. Uh, K-S-E Mamma Jamma. Um, <laughs> yes, it's a lovely Halloween costume last year. Why don't you tell us about your Halloween costume? <laughs> uh, this was my favorite. And I think everyone should do this for Halloween. Uh, my friend, yeah, my friend and I just, we went as SJWs and I thought this is going to be, I had the blue wig at the blue hair. We had the pussy hats and then we made uh, signs and, and t-shirts. My favorite was on the back. You can't see it in that picture, but on the back, my, my shirt said, um, your words are violence. And my sign said, your silence is violence, which are some of those <laughs> phrases. <we did>. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. Wait, hold on. Actually, I think I might be able to, I'm going to try something. Try uh, and put it up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can, cause this is like, um, uh, I, I'm not as adept at this as I would imagine, or as I should be on here. I can do this. Well, well, that, um, that. while you're trying to figure that out, what else can I say about it? Oh, the, the best part was, so we had so many different reactions. Oh, there it is. I think this is it. Wait, so I think <laughs> I have to talk to get, yeah. So I have to keep talking for this to be showing on the screen, but this is Carrie. Carrie's with the checker privilege sign there. Uh, looking like exactly the kind of person you would totally like all guys would objectify that Carrie that you've done a great job uh, and you're very masculine uh, fiance at the time with uh, with this pussy hat so so this is the context that Carrie is going to be talking about <laughs> yes the context um, well so we we had a couple of different reactions from people um, there were the people who thought we were real protesters and followed us and basically were uh there was you know, there were some people who thought we were real protesters and and were on board with us like yeah you know you get them and then there are other people who followed us and were really just angry there was one woman who was screaming at us about how there's nothing funny about feminism and i'm like oh i disagree <laughs> i'm like yeah there is nothing funny about feminism uh so i just tried to play in character the whole time so the people who were angry you know, we're like, there were maybe three different people at different points who followed and asked questions. And so for those people, I just, I just stayed in character. They're like, what are you doing out here? I'm like, well, I'm just telling people to check their privilege. It's yeah, Halloween. Yeah, no, you just, uh, <laughs> you, yeah. Okay. You go yeah. into it. That's awesome. Yeah. Do they know that you're like still in character or do they like start to think that maybe you're serious? Um, no, I think, I think they knew, I think they were trying to get me to argue with them. The, the ones who were upset, the three who were upset. And, um, but I, I was like, I'm not here to argue. I'm just here to have fun. So of course I'm going to stay in character, which yeah. makes them very angry. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, then there were also the, there were kids who got it and who were like thumbs up, you know, and laughing like a lot of young millennials, I would say like college age kids who really loved it. And who people were coming over and like, can I take a picture with you and stuff like that? So that was funny. Yeah. 
Oh, and the, one of the funniest parts was I ran into these um, British kids and they were dressed like, one of them was dressed like Trump and the other two were dressed like uh, in Mexican sombrero hats and stuff. And they had no idea what cultural appropriation meant. So I, I blessed their hearts. <laughs> so I got to take a photo with them with the cultural appropriation sign. That was kind of funny. Um, That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So you got to lecture them for fun. Fun. Oh, can I tell you this one other thing I just heard? I don't know if this is yes. about yeah. cultural appropriation. I just met this guy from Scotland who told me that he's not allowed at university at Kent, that they're not allowed to wear cowboy boots and cowboy hats because it's considered cultural appropriation. From whom? I, I, I guess the cowboys would be offended. I don't know. It just kind of blew my I mind. Mean, I Weren't most cowboys white? Isn't it okay to offend white people? I don't understand. No, I don't get it. I don't get it. That's how crazy things are getting. Yeah. No cowboy. Wow. wow. Well, soon. Uh, there was a, a quote from um, PJ O'Rourke. It was the introduction to one of his books uh, years ago. I don't remember what book it was, but it was his description of democracy. And he basically said, like, uh, if, if we get to vote on everything and, and everyone has to do what 51% of the population votes for, we'd all be married to Mel Gibson and wear jeans and eat pizza every day because, like, that's <laughs> just, like, <laughs> it, at the time, Mel Gibson was big, and, uh, of course, there are more women than men, so. Um. Mm -hmm. Oh, hey, Keith is here. Hey, Keith. Uh, how you doing? No, the, they, my request to have Carrie uh, say something boring didn't work, but Keith is reminding me that we should start. Okay. Um, so, uh do you remember the rules for unsafe space, Carrie? Um, what what was the rules? Uh, no There's hitting. Only two. I, I know I'm putting you on the spot. This is a test. No hitting, right? No hitting. That's rule number two. What's rule yeah. number one? <laughs> Something about your feelings. Feelings are not arguments. That's, that's feelings are not arguments. Okay. Just, I'm just reminding the audience. Um, please like, follow, subscribe. Unsafe space. You can go to uh, Unsafe Show on Twitter, and the and the URL is Unsafe Show. Um, but uh, but we're called Unsafe Space. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, again, like, subscribe, follow. Also, I got a shout out to uh, a founder that I'm advising. Uh, actually, invested in and advising. Uh, became the first person to support us on Patreon. But I think he's doing it anonymously, so I don't want to shout out his name because he's in Silicon Valley, and if anyone knows that he's supporting this show, um, he will probably be lynched. But uh, you, you know you who you are? Word. You can't say you. what? I said you're not allowed to say that word. That's one of the SJW words you can't oh, say. Oh, I'm appropriating the lynching word? Yeah, you can't say that word. I don't think... <laughs> uh, I think lynching predates any... Uh, Slavery or anything, whatever they're upset about. Um, they don't care. So, oh, I see. Okay. Well, uh, that leads us right into our topic today. We want to talk about um, SJWs and personal responsibility. And the reason for this is, um, I we don't, I don't really want to talk at all about uh, the the violent events of last week. But there was a lot of talk about um, taking responsibility for your words that resulted in, in this. And so I'm, I don't, I'm not saying that SJWs are to blame or, or anyone's to blame. We're not talking about that. That's not at all the point of this, but it did get Carrie and I thinking about, um, this concept of taking personal responsibility for things you say, uh, taking responsibility for how your words and actions affect people around you and that kind of thing. And that led to this discussion about, uh, as, as almost every discussion with Carrie leads to, uh, a discussion about social justice culture. Mm -hmm. And you said that you had been speaking with a friend the other day who had been saying, it's not, it's not them, uh, it's them, it's not us. 
Um, and that led to a kind of conversation and, and your thoughts on this. So do you want to start by maybe just telling us about that conversation and, and how it led to this discussion? Yeah, I it actually the friend had shared an op-ed and I forget what paper it was in. I could go look for it, but basically the opinion piece was was saying that there's not a problem with polarization, that the pro the problem is not polarization, the problem is not tribalism. The problem is with the right. You know, and that, and the whole piece was just about how there's just one side here that's wrong and we need to stop talking about extreme polarization and tribalism and just focus on what's wrong about the right. And so, so the summary of this article is it's not about us versus them. It's them. It's just them. Yeah. <laughs> oh Everything's God. wrong. It's all them. It's just them. Um, yeah. So he, this guy who shared this, he's one of these folks that I would say, I just, he's, he's intelligent. And I do think he's well-meaning, but he's so caught up in the ideology. And and he he's what I would call a professional SJW. He he does activism for a job. You know, he does the ideology for a living. So I think when you're doing it for a living, it's really hard to get out of it, maybe. But anyway, this guy shared this, and, and he was sort of agreeing. He was agreeing with it. He's saying, yeah, you know, it's not about tribalism. It's not about polarization. It's all about how the the right wing is wrong, you know, and he he was saying something about people on the right, like the violent rhetoric and ratcheting it up and about the, um, the pipe bomb guy or the bomb guy that was sending out the packages. Yep. And, um, and so I was arguing with him because I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's useful at all. I mean, well, first of all, I think it's just absolutely incorrect. I mean, on its face, of course, of course there's a problem on both sides. This isn't a, this is that that should even be up for. I don't understand how you could even think that's true. Like, of course, there's a problem on both sides, um, but there, it's not useful to just point fingers at the other side. It doesn't do anything, you know. And so I was sort of saying to him, like, look, we're on the left, so our responsibility is to rein in the crazies on our side, you know, to right. rein in the extremism on our side, and so. I'm more concerned about, very concerned about the um, justifications for violence that I've seen on the left. And because that's what I can have, if, if I'm gonna have an effect anywhere, it's gonna be on my own side. You know, so this, this goes back to this idea of like, it's better for me to fix myself than it is to try and fix you because I can't fix you first of all. <laughs> and until I fix myself, it's like, what good am I? I'm just running around ignoring my own problems and finger pointing at everyone else. It's like that Bible verse, you know, um, you know, which verse I'm talking about. The log in your own eye and the speck in your brother's eye or yes. whatever that. Yeah. Is. Yeah. It's easier to see the speck in your brother's eye than it is to see the log in your own eye. So that's right. kind of what I was saying to him. And like, you know, it doesn't do any good for people on the left to post article after article about how bad the right is. Like you're not on the right. I'm not going to be able to fix the right. <laughs> so yeah, no, look, I, I I don't know. The other thing is this whole right-left polarization. I mean, not that it's new, but I feel like there is a lot more polarization now. And for a lot of us, and I, I imagine Keith, who's listening, is uh, would, would put himself in that category, but I don't want to speak for him. Um, from a, lo a lot of us are like, I'm not on either one of those sides, but uh, you know, as soon as one of those sides starts getting too radical, and and that that becomes kind of the mainstream of that side. Uh, that's when I start to get nervous. And, and what I mean specifically is, you know, the right has always been about a move towards some sort of theocracy. I mean, not explicitly, but 
they've always been about like you know more wars and um, legislating morality in some sense, but pretty free market, free speech, and um, you know they're they're sometimes they're into regulation in kind of a pro business way that hurts people. Um, but the the right has kind of always been been that and they haven't tried to blur the lines for example between speech and violence and they haven't um and they haven't gone and said free speech is is uh not important or is irrelevant or isn't a thing and you know as someone on the outside i'm actually more scared of the left because they were the guardians previously the aclu for example they were the guardians of free speech and and i needed the left right to be, they they were the people who would march for pornography, like to for the rights of pornographers to do things. And I'm like, yes, thank you. You're like, even if you're doing stuff, I mean, pornography is fine, but even stuff that I might like really disagree with or think was horrible or disgusting, whatever. Like, I, I great, they're defending um, who wrote the Satanic Verses or whatever. Like, defend people like it's common Rush. So they they defend that kind of stuff, which even though I might not agree with. Um, they were the ones who had the principled stance on freedom of speech. And the thing that's scary to me about the, the left, and it's, it's driven by a social justice culture, is this, um, uh, A, this explicit rejection of freedom of speech as a, as a moral concept, and B, mm -hmm. uh, the blurring of the lines between violence and speech. And although the right is problematic in some ways, uh, am I allowed to use that word? That's common. I'm not allowed to use the word problematic because it's part no, of No, they that. love the word problematic. That's on the, that's on the, plus, that's in the plus column. That'll okay. win points with SJW. <laughs> so, I mean, although the right is problematic, I think they're more obvious about it, right? They're less insidious. The right mm -hmm. doesn't say, um, "Oh, we don't believe in war, but we're going to fund war." Like they're like, "Yeah, no, we like we like bombing people." It's like, all right, well, that that's uh, like I disagree on the face of it, but at least it's not like they're not trying to blur the lines between, well, bombing and saying things are the same thing, or like punching people and saying things. They're not, silence is violence. They're not saying that. And so culturally, I think the left is more um, dangerous. And I think one of the things that is dangerous, which you and I already also talked about, is uh, when they break down the meaning of words and they call everyone a Nazi, it means if you're not on the right and really, if you're kind of in the middle and you're looking at the right doing things, you can't distinguish between who's an actual Nazi and who's just being called the Nazi. And so now you don't know who to associate with. And you kind of just dismiss the left out of hand when they say like, well, Carrie is a Nazi. It's like, well, if you tell me Carrie is a Nazi, I know that you're full of shit. And so now no one that you could tell me that uh, Richard Spencer is a Nazi. And if I didn't know who he was, I'd be like, I don't believe you, right? But Richard Spencer actually, I think he actually is a white nationalist or so he's yeah, just the he guy, is. right? So it's it's destroying their own case and I, so i think there's danger there and i actually think there will be danger in a backlash because it's allowing uh actual fascism to to rise because it's rising un, undetected because we can't tell the difference um on the face because we can't trust the people that are talking about it mm -hmm. Sorry, but i don't know yeah where that no i completely agree and it's actually it's pushing people it's it's so weird it's like the alt left or the SJWs, as I call them, they they depend on the existence of the alt right. They depend on the existence of these boogeymen they're fighting, and vice versa. And so they they the two extremes push people towards one another, and they it, it's almost like I, I kind of view them as they don't really want the other group to 
to not be there to, to, to go away because they need the other group to recruit. It's the existence right. of the other group that, that justifies their existence. Right. When fascism went away, Antifa just redefined fascism to be anyone who is not Marxist because they needed an enemy. Right. Um, right. Yeah. You so. said um, you've been reading. Did you finish the. Yeah. yeah. No, I finished the Antifa handbook. It was I should write a, I should write a whole book on the Antifa handbook. <laughs> but, uh, so let's get back to this idea. Okay. You know, you mentioned um, it's easier to see the speck in your brother's eye than the log in your own eye. Um, and, uh, you know, <sighs> I don't want to go all Jordan Peterson on everyone here, but um, you know this is something that Jordan talks about, right? Which is like, you know, before you tell me how to run the world, make your bloody bed, right? <laughs> is Jordan would say, right? Make your damn bed. If you can't make your bed, I don't care what you have to say about how the country should be run, um, right? Or the world. Um, and I wanted to delve into that a little bit because. Uh, I don't know that the lack of personal response. I do sense that there is a lack of personal responsibility. I don't know if it's more on the left or on the right. What do you think? Or SJW oh, or not? Oh, it's more on the left. Absolutely. Okay. And I say this Why do you on the left, but um, well, because look at the SJW ideology itself. It's all about victimhood and uh, telling people that everything that happens to them is outside of their control and that they are a victim of the patriarchy of, you know, because of their race or because of their sex or because of these countless groups that they're in, if they're in a marginalized group, they're therefore a victim. And it encourages people to, um, it encourages people to kind of wallow in that and to celebrate almost the, the, to, to celebrate victimhood. It's like, it's like, um, it's like being able to point to anything bad that's happened in your life or anything that you didn't get that you maybe wanted instead of examining the reasons, that, maybe the ways that you contributed to not getting those things. It tells you that you can point your finger at the white man or whoever at society, at patriarchy and say, this is why I didn't get that thing. So it encourages resentment. And I don't see that. So once I've started trying to get out of my bubble and I've started meeting more people on the right, there's a part of, I would say definitely on the right or, you know, conservatism, there's, it's more about self-sufficiency. It's more about personal responsibility. Like the rugged individualism kind of mindset. Right. Figuring out what you want and going after it and making improvements on yourself. And so um, it's, it's, that's not to say that, the, that that doesn't exist on the left as well. There are definitely, I think, um, uh, a lot of, a lot of people I know on the left who are, who I would not put in this this uh, victimhood, uh, you know, camp. But uh, but yeah, I would say it's more on the left. But I but but also, I mean, maybe this is just me living in the Bay Area. I feel like politically, everyone's a social justice warrior, or at least uh, that's the assumption. But on the flip side, there is a huge, huge industry and culture of self improvement, and everyone and their mother goes to like, you know. The, the most common thing is like, I had a transformational experience, right? Like everyone's <laughs> always good. They're all trying to like, I, you know, I went and took ayahuasca for four days and understand the world now, or I, or I, you know, I read, or, you know, everyone goes to therapy, which is like, I'm a fan of therapy. I think it's important, but it's, it, there's definitely a culture of therapy and a culture of kind of, uh, at least pseudo self-improvement, but that, at least, a some kind of recognition that one mm -hmm. should be 
introspective and improving one's psychology and oneself. So that doesn't seem to jive for me. That doesn't seem to, to fit with this idea of abandoning personal responsibility. How do you square that circle? Hmm. Well, I think that maybe that's just people who are trying to fill a hole with, with something. So I used to have this boss who he was such a stereotype. Okay. Like he, he would spend money every year on different things, like trying to fill the hole. So like he had a personal chef that traveled with him for a while and, you know, and then he had a, a, a guru who was with him on the road all the time. And, oh, you probably know this person, by the way, uh, I forgot. We knew each other in the mm -hmm. entertainment industry. Yes. yes but, um, but you know, then he, then he was spending money on paintings for the office, which each painting was like just a different color. One was green and one was blue and they were blessed by a shaman. And I'm like, he spent like five grand on each of these paintings. I'm like, we need a color copier. Like there are things in the office. That <laughs> I'll do it for four grand. Maybe you could get a shaman to get us the color copier. Um, but but no, I felt like he was all about self improvement. Oh, and once he he told us he wanted us to um, all the employees to go to the the guru's weekend workshop and and pay. I think it was like five hundred bucks or something, and that he would cover half of it. And I'm like. I, you want us to pay our money to go to your guru outside of work. It was just everything about it was like, it felt like he was trying to fill this hole with something um, or it seemed that way to me. And so I think maybe a lot of the self-improvement stuff on the left is like people are searching. They do want, they, there is a hole there, like maybe a spiritual hole um, that they try to fill, fill with other things. And some, I think sometimes there's a great David Brooks quote about, um, people who try to fill emotional and spiritual holes with politics end up becoming fanatics. And I think mm. I see that a lot with SJWs because there is a, I hate to, I hate to be so cliche, but there's a God sized hole in your heart. Now you're an atheist. You're going to disagree here, but you've got a God sized hole that you're no, trying actually, to fill. I that statement. I'll explain it in a minute, but can get yeah. continue. But you're trying to fill it with something else. And so, um, I don't know. I'll, can I say something else about transformational experience? Hold on, let me think. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> As someone who's been through one recently, it's not like a fun thing. It's not like I went to the beach to this retreat and I had this transformational experience. I mean, maybe it could be. Mine is more like I hit rock bottom and went through hell <laughs> and I barely <laughs> crawled out of the pit alive and I had a transformational experience. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. not like Unfortunately, I think that's how most actual transformation occurs. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's under duress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, so let me actually talk about your God size hole for a sec because um right. I am an atheist. Uh, but uh and you and I have touched on this before. I think, you know, I do I do think what happened is um <clears throat> You know, you had philosophers who were atheists tear down religion, and um, and and I think their arguments are valid. Like uh, I'm an atheist, like I, I think the tearing down of the religious beliefs was was valid. Um, however, uh, they didn't. Pe people need meaning, and they need purpose in their lives, and they need to understand like why. They need to understand very simple things. I mean, I've had people say like, "How can you be an atheist?" Like. Like, how do you know murder is wrong? Like, they, they need, like, just, just need, like, oh, my God. Like, what if, what if I, what if serial murder is wrong if I don't believe in God, right? Mm -hmm. And, and so it does create a hole. And I think if philosophers were responsible, 
they would have attempted to fill that hole with um, philosophy in a way that teaches people how to find their own meaning and purpose and figure out that, hey, you know, murder's actually bad. Um, there are reasons, there's like rational reasons why murder is is bad. And there's like, there's a reason that we don't have a society where we go rape and pillage and kill people. And this all, this all can actually make sense. And, and you can derive a lot of this and you can find meaning in your life. Maybe you have to, to choose some of it, but you know, there is something beyond you. It's just not coming from religion. But if you don't give anyone a way to find anything beyond themselves and any kind of higher purpose, then, um, then I think they, they turn to things like cults, right? Which I think SJWism is. Um, but I think most commonly they turn to the state. So I, I mean, most atheists are not, you know, I'm an anarcho-capitalist fundamentally. I, I just don't advocate for that outright. I just, you know, we're never going to get there in my lifetime. So I'm, <laughs> I'm pushing for libertarianism, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, fundamentally I'm an anarcho-capitalist. So, you know, I, but I'm an atheist, but I'm an anomaly. Most atheists are not. Most atheists are socialists. Most, athe most atheists have, um, they don't start out as atheists. They abandon religion and they replace the state, right? They, they're like, oh, I don't believe in God. I believe in democracy, <clears throat> right? And um, to me, that is just a different imaginary tyrannical being. It's just... Mm -hmm. Um, God is not actually going to shoot me, uh, at least not on earth. If he turns out to be real, I'll go to hell, but he's not going to make my life on earth hell and, and shoot me if I disagree with him. The state will. Mm. Um, and so I, I think a lot of the rise of kind of Marxist and, and SJW ideology does, does stem from a lack of religion. And I, I'd be curious to see what the religious beliefs are of like the SJW community, I assume that they're much less religious than, um, you know, the, any kind of even center right community. Was that your experience? Yeah, absolutely. I would say they're, they're, um, typically I, I wouldn't expect most SJWs to, to claim to be religious. However, there's this idea of, uh, have you heard this word convergence, SJW convergence? No, is it? Are they going to bring? Does it involve quantum physics? Because those are my favorite types of religion. <laughs> quantum physics is a tool of the patriarchy, so no. Uh, huh. <laughs> uh, no, so convergence. I think it's a. I'm I'm blanking on the guy's name. There's this guy who writes uh, like these uh, self-published books about SJWs, um, or about the about the ideology. And um, oh, I think I think he goes by Vox Day online. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. He's okay. Christian. He's definitely he, on the right, and he's very Christian, but he's got some great books. In fact, he's got a, one of his books is SJW's Always Lie, and it's a great yes, book. Yes, that's the one I was thinking but, of. So he mentions day. in there, and in one of the, I read an excerpt of one of his books, and so he was talking about convergence and how basically SJWs infiltrate different organizations, and then they sort of take it over from the inside where the ideology itself becomes the priority within the organization. It becomes, it subverts whatever the original goal was. And so right. you've seen that happen, you know, in tech it's happened that, I mean, look at Google. I would say their number one objective now is pushing their ideology. Um, but it's happened, my point is it's happening in churches now too. So you're starting to see SJW ideology becoming the number one thing in some churches. 
and kind of God's word or whatever like that. And I, I think that's just a really, uh, I don't know, like I, I'm like, I'm new to Christianity and I went to hear this lecture recently and it was at um, an Episcopalian church and um, there was some discussion afterwards. There was a Q and A and one of the women was disagreeing with the speaker and the speaker was sort of saying, um, he, he was talking about the works of uh, St. Augustine, who, who I wasn't that familiar with before. Augustine? Augustine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, so he was talking about how there's, there's uh, the way to God is through the cross. That, that's, mm -hmm. the, that's the wrath that's going to get you to God, right? And so this woman's like, excuse me, I think there are many wraths, you know, and what's your favorite raft? And, and so they were kind of disagreeing. And I was thinking about it afterwards. I'm like, her version of Christianity is this sort of vague, amorphous, you know, there's many different ways and paths. I do believe there are many different ways and paths to get to God. Absolutely. But I think what she was trying to say is like, it's, 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 it's changing. It's like, let me be the person to, to, uh, uh, it's putting yourself in the place of God in a way, like being very arrogant. Like, well, you may, he may have said this, but that's not what he meant, you know? And I, uh, I just, I kind of felt like, well, I could get that in SJWism. That's not why I'm at church. So I've actually had friends. I've been on this spiritual journey of trying to go to different, like I started off going to Agape, the spiritual center, and then I was going to Catholic mass. And then now I'm going to this evangelical church, but you know, I've had some friends who don't really understand what I'm trying to do who are like, Oh, you should come to my church. It's really like, open and free thinking and it's really and i'm like no that's not why i'm getting into church i want something conservative with structure <laughs> like, you, mean, you don't understand i had that before you know so uh and it's kind of a joke but but it's true no, I, mean, I, think I, I get it and um a couple things one i i did i did actually i think I, I met a guy who claimed i don't know if this is true but uh he actually claims that he makes money um he has feelers at at, at companies in silicon valley and when uh when SJWs take over HR departments, he shorts the stock. He starts shorting stock and makes money. Um, you mentioned that. that. That's what he claims, right? Yeah. Um, but I will say this. In, in the Bay Area, I think the SJW infiltration uh, of churches is quite old. And, and the reason, my, my evidence that I'll cite for this is uh, in about the year 2000, um, I... I have a, I have a friend, we're still friends, but at the time he um, he was fascinated. He grew up, he was uh, the child of a preacher and a PhD in theology. Those were his parents, right? So uh, very, you know, very, really, he had grown very religious, but he wasn't acting very religious. And we were, and he was um, really fascinated with atheism and like, why, how could I be an atheist? And, and, um, and we got to talking, we agreed on a lot of things. And I'm like, how, how could you be a Christian? Like, I don't understand. And where are you coming from, right? And so he invited me to his church. And it, I don't remember the name of it, but it was, uh, I went, it was this like um, Unitarian whatever thing. And it had like nothing to do with Christianity in the sense that I had ever heard. It was all what I would now say is social justice, but I didn't recognize it at the time. It was all social justice ideology. It was all this idea that like, well, I don't know if there's a God, but there's like a thing and I don't know how to get there, but you could kind of get there and I don't yeah. know what it wants, but like it's there and loves you. And like, it definitely wants you to vote for Democrats. Like that was <laughs> like, that, like, all I know is that the universe is Marxist. Um, and like, that was, kind of, that was kind of the ideology. Um, 
and I was fascinated that this counted as Christian and church because mm-hmm. um, it was you know, diametrically opposed to uh, all of the Christianity I had grown up with. So do you, do you want to know? Oh, here, Jason says they're in, infil- they've infiltrated Unitarian Universalists. That became a deal breaker for me. Okay, so I what well, I don't I, maybe Jason can tell us on chat. Like I don't know what Unitarian Universalism was because that was my only experience with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really weird. So anyway, I think it is. I think it's just where it's become SJW ideology has has succeeded in becoming the main priority and main focus. And uh, going back to you were talking about the ACLU earlier. It, it you know we should have a funeral for the ACLU because. <laughs> They've been taken over. Convergence has happened. You know, I don't know if you saw earlier this year, but in June there was that leaked memo. Do you know what I'm talking about? They so there was a there was a memo that was leaked where they basically the ACLU was saying, you know, their number one goal was supposed to be has always been protecting free speech and civil liberties. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. So the memo was essentially, um, we're not going to protect free speech when it's at odds with uh, the something about like mar- the experiences of marginalized people and the um, if it helps if it helps to support uh, white supremacy and the patriarch. It was just this really SJW. Oh, wow. I didn't realize they explicitly gave up on free speech. Oh, yes. Like go look up the memo that was leaked. And I think that ugh, there was something else that happened with them recently where I'm like, yeah, this is the news. The new ACLU is not the old ACLU. Um, and okay. I knew this was coming. I had a friend who... Um, I have a friend in LA who had some folks staying with her, I think through like Airbnb or whatever, who were, you know, young people who are working at ACLU. And it's like, they are all SJWs. Like, they, you know, they've pushed out whoever was there who wasn't. So, so anyway, RIP, uh-huh. rest in power, ACLU. <laughs> uh, hopefully rest in anonymity if we can yeah. um, make that happen. Um, that's sad because we needed an ACLU. And and one of the things I always respected about the ACLU is even when I because I, I grew up very conservative Christian and and um you know I didn't necessarily even support the concept of free speech completely because I was, you know, very evangelical. Well, I can't shouldn't do this, I can't do that. And I didn't like the ACLU uh because they would take stances that were like free speech, very principled. But you know, once I grew up a little bit, uh I realized that um Wow, I have a lot of respect for for this organization. They are just like principled, principled on this free speech thing, and like that's a really valuable organization to have. Um, and it's a, that's it's sad to hear that that's not true. That's I mean, I, I can see that it wasn't true, but I didn't realize it was an explicit decision mm-hmm. in the memo that was leaked. So, um, by the way, the uh, Jason says the Universal Unitarian Universalists has liberal Christian origins. As a center left diagnostic, okay. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I, let's get to this personal responsibility thing again. I is it that SJW culture um, fosters a sense of irresponsibility, or is it that people who already have a lack of personal responsibility gravitate towards social justice culture? I think it's a little of both. Because I definitely, you know what I would love to see? A study on mental health and people who identify as SJW or who are in that, you know, subscribe to that belief system. Um, because I, I feel like a lot of the people who, who I 
put in that that group that part of the left um, seem to have issues with mental health and and it's almost like the ideology encourages it it like you know if you if you you know we've talked about how they everything is about oppression right and which groups you fall into and if you can fall into groups the more groups that you can check off that make you marginalized or oppressed then the more power you have in the in the movement itself the greater voice like the opposite of actual self-growth and therapy right where right. therapists will 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 help you to not feel like a victim anymore and get over childhood trauma or whatever and kind of come into your own and have agency this seems like the opposite of that this is the opposite of that this is uh you know people wear their mental health issues as a badge but like a form of marginalization like so it's like you know i'm marginalized because i'm a woman and also because i have depression you know and, oh, okay. and or whatever you know so it's not like it, it it almost encourages you not to try and get better um right you know you you'll see oh gosh what's that word they use they'll say things like uh, have you heard this i i would i would talk with you but i just don't have enough spoons today oh yeah you mentioned that like it's it's mm -hmm. uh like it's an emotional uh it takes an emotional toll they need emotional currency to, to yes, it's emotional labor, and when when they say they don't have enough spoons, that means that they don't have enough uh, energy or to to participate in that emotional labor today. That that their mental health issues are taking a toll on them. Um, out, out of curiosity, why were spoons the unit of measurement? That was. Um, it's something they co-opted. I'd have to go back and look it up. Maybe next time we talk, I'll I'll have the answer. But it like with a lot of things, like with the term gaslighting, they took it. And now they use it and they abuse it. They abuse the term to where it doesn't really mean anything anymore. Um, okay. I think they took it maybe from dis the disability community. I'm not sure, but but um, um, but yeah, they, it encourages mental health. And it also, when they get together in a mob, whether it's online or in person, like at Evergreen, you know, when you see a group of SJWs, it's it's like their mental health issues, like it, they escalate one another. So at a certain point, like. If it's just one individual person and they're raging or they're you know behaving in ways that are not appropriate uh they might tire out after a bit and like kind of and be like oh maybe it's not maybe i shouldn't be behaving like a child right or right. Right. Uh, but when it's a group of them it, it, there's it's like a collective mental health problem <laughs> and it it's like I, I think of it as like sjws have collective borderline personality disorder you know, it's like, uh, I don't know that that's just SJWs though. Like if anyone's attended in a sporting event or if you go to like a Tony Robbins thing, which I did once mm -hmm. just out of curiosity, right? Um, it's this, it's the, it's the collective, this is why we call it mobs, right? And that's, that's why there's like this mob behavior is a separate thing because, um, you won't stand up and scream at people who support the, the team wearing the different colored jerseys by yourself. But man, when you're with the whole section of people, yeah. uh, it, like it becomes war, right? I mean, and, and with soccer matches in in Europe, like there are actual physical fights all the time, right? Which is a big deal. They have to like design stadiums certain ways and have like plans for like exiting these fans and then those fans so they don't get into brawls on the street. I mm -hmm. mean, it spills over. But whereas I think you know, if pick any two random people out of those groups, if they just you know met in a coffee shop, they wouldn't be beating each other up over their different teams, right? Yeah. It's anywhere. It's anywhere. It's you're right. It's not just within SJWs. There is something about the mental health issue, though, that I would. I mean, I would just love to see a study on that. And there's see, a new I think study would, would be helpful because I think um, the mental health community has already uh, 
been taken over by social justice, like the the, mm -hmm. the professionals that would do that study, because it's not it's like if you had neurologists do brain scan studies, yes, maybe that maybe that will be something because it's more objective. But I think if you had therapists um, involved in a study like that, I, I don't think that they would find some way to to justify. And I think they they do like they they view conservative like conservatism as a mental health disorder. And even with therapists that I've spoken to that are um, kind of and since I'm in the Bay Area, they're all, you know, left SJW's persuasion at least a little bit. Um, they all have bad philosophy underlying everything they're doing. And it's, it's something mm -hmm. that actually makes it difficult to have decent therapy sometimes because they all have this like moral relativism and like this kind of they have their like underlying everything is this SJW ideology. And so, um, you know, uh, if you if you believe in right and wrong then it's like rigid thinking and that's a psychological problem and so i'm not i'm not sure a study would actually yeah. help uh you're right uh, they have taken over that field well there's what, one what would there's, help with people's childhood i'd be really curious to see if there's more childhood like there's the adverse childhood experience score um gamora mate talks about uh i don't know if he invented it but uh he's a canadian uh, I don't know if he's a clinical psychologist or whatever, but he he's a he talks about childhood trauma a lot and addiction and related things. I would be curious to see if you break the population into like SJWs and non-SJWs, and even maybe the far right if you get some Nazis involved, um, and just see like are there different childhood trauma scores in those groups? That would be interesting. Well, anecdotally, personal experience. That I mean that. I was an SJW and I had childhood trauma. So, yeah. yeah the problem is almost everyone has childhood trauma, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so it's, the, it's the extent of childhood trauma that is really going to make yeah. a difference. In, in yeah, that. the extent of it. Um, um, this Jason says that Jordan Peterson has a video on uh, where do SJWs come from? So that would be an interesting video because it's about apparently SJW psychology. So uh, um, I was just about to mention that, Jason. Actually, because there is a there's a study mentioned in that video, or they're talking about the one study I know about this is, is in that video. It was Peterson and one of his grad students, I think her last name is Brophy, uh, B-R-O-P-H-Y. Um, and one of the things they found was that people who subscribe to SJW ideology were more likely to self-report having a mood or a personality disorder, either in themselves or in an immediate, like their family member, like a parent. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Tamara is also commenting on this, like, she says, emotional labor is an extension of fainting couch feminism. Um, and she she goes on and explains it so anyone who wants to read her comments can read. Tamara, I, that's hilarious. Yeah, no, yes, it is. It's fainting couch. No, and I think of it as, I, I totally agree, and I think of it as, um, uh, what was her name? Blanche Dubois. It's like Blanche Dubois syndrome from uh, Streetcar Named Desire, where like, oh, it's like, it's, she's like vying for attention and like, oh no, it's okay. It's or, and then she'll she'll couch faint like it's too much. I can't handle it anymore. Or I, I don't have the emotional energy. Um, it's that kind of ridiculous couch fainting uh, crap. And and uh, I think I think tomorrow's right uh, on that. But um, uh, you know, I, I don't have evidence for I don't have proof for this. But my my suspicion is that there is a different, at least maybe a different kind or a greater amount of childhood trauma on from you know leading to sjwism i think um people who are raised in you know i, I don't want to get all um leave it to beaver but look people who are raised in a stable two-parent home where there was a one parent stayed home to raise the children and they uh didn't beat them 
and um, you know treated them kind of fairly and we'll say pe peaceful parenting or some variant thereof uh, and you know but had firm boundaries and like taught them right from wrong I I don't know how many of those people grow up to be SJWs but I would imagine it would be a very uh, small, small. I think small yes yeah well, let's do this study you and I <laughs> uh, we should do the study actually um that's not out of the question uh to do a study like that it's uh I think you could probably do you just have to collect a lot of adverse childhood experience data along with um political beliefs data um and I, I don't I don't think it's impossible uh Jordan doesn't talk to me anymore because he's too famous I used to work with Jordan before he was famous so uh three years ago I probably could have said let's do a study but now uh you know his assistant's assistant will email me and tell me I'm just sure uh, he seems like he's very busy now yeah um, I'm sure he is. So. yeah um oh he's saying SJWs have higher agreeability or agreeableness um which is interesting um so he's talking about when he when he says higher. So Jason's saying this. So there's a maybe we should talk really quickly. There's a big five personality scale, which is the mm -hmm. only really derived, um, uh, empirically derived model for how to classify personalities. There are other there's like Jungian models and other models, but the big five is the one that's used. And actually, the big five personality model is how I uh, knew Jordan previously before he was famous. He was using the big five personality model to help us screen founders. Um, and screen out people who are potentially like bad founders with red flags and that kind of stuff. And um, and actually, too high agreeableness is an issue on a founder. Um, they need to have kind of a medium level of agreeableness. Ah. Uh, and have too high. Uh, so that's one. Of, so there's five personalities. Agreeableness is one of them. And Jason's saying SJWs tend to have higher agreeableness. And and this is interesting because um, when you have higher agreeableness, you tend to, you tend to go along with the crowd more. So. Um, you know, it takes something to be able to stand up and say, I disagree with this room full of people is not something that someone with high agreeableness is likely to do ever. Um, and so it does, uh, I, I would imagine, it makes sense that high agreeableness kind of fosters uh, groupthink. I imagine they also, maybe Jason knows, do they have low conscientiousness? If Jason, Jason can comment if he knows that. But I would imagine there's low, low conscientiousness, which is one of the other five. Um, I think they do have lower conscientiousness. And I think they, um, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, they are higher in openness, which makes sense because they're on the left. Um, yeah. You know, this they is have the, higher... RK, the RK um, uh, breeding strategies as well. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'll, I'll get to that later. Sorry, what were you saying? No, no you're probably about, you're probably about to say something that, that similar to what I was going to say. But yeah, they have the high openness. They have high um, compassion. And so this goes back to this idea of... Uh, like the smothering, but when we were talking about women's, you know, natural instinct to protect their young or to mm -hmm. protect people who they feel are marginalized or who are being oppressed. And so you, you have all of these women in the movement who are acting out this biological, uh, you know, need to protect sure. others and then, and they can get very vicious, but it's because it's because they're, they're trying to protect their baby cubs. You know what I mean? So this is interesting. I was going to talk about um, RK uh, reproduction strategy, but I don't think it's, uh, it's that can be a topic for another time because I want to talk about what you just said instead. Mm -hmm. uh, I would also bet I could be totally wrong though. I would also bet that most female SGWs are childless. Again, anecdotally, the ones that I know, correct, and not just childless, but uh, 
aggressively anti-child, you know, right. like I have, so I, I have one who every mother's day, she just posts a bunch of hateful stuff about <laughs> like, like she can't see other people celebrating mother's day. It makes her so angry, you know? Right. Well, I'm sorry about your mother lady. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Probably, uh, probably not, not the best mother. Well, the reason I'm, I'm thinking that, and I think actually Stefan Molyneux has maybe had talked about this, but, um, it would have been a while ago because I haven't listened to him too much recently, but uh, there's this idea that, um, well, we, we know that biologically, uh, again, I hate to have to have caveats, but I'm speaking on average. Yes, there are tall women and there are short, weak men, blah, blah, blah. We get it. Uh, but uh, biologically, women tend to, um, you know, they've got this uh, desire that people call it like baby fever, right? They like, they get they get, uh, they, you know, they, they're driven to have children, which is, which makes sense evolutionarily. Um, and they have a, like a nurturing instinct about children. And I think the theory is that um, when they don't have children, uh, that nurturing instinct needs an outlet. And one of the things that they, they do is they try and kind of like project and mother other people and victims are very, um, you know, victims are, are, are a great substitute for that. If you can, put someone in the category of like a weak victim, it gives you a cause to fight for. And, you know, um, like moms, we think of like moms as like these nurturing and sometimes kind of weak individuals where they're not, they're nurturing, but they're extremely vicious when they, they'd be like, mom, like mother bear will rip you to shreds if you look at her cub the wrong way. So uh, that's what a mom is. And I think that maybe that out, there's a theory, right? That maybe that outlet, um, or the, the, those, those kind of feelings and, and, and uh, that tendency needs to know because there's no child to defend. Um, you like look for victim groups to defend and you can get all righteous about it um, and kind of let that viciousness out, which is appropriate viciousness if you're using it to defend your offspring, but inappropriate if you're using it to play identity politics and yell at people and call everyone a Nazi. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on this? No, I, th I think that's exactly right. Um, I've heard a, a few people, I've heard actually Jordan Peterson talking about this before. I think I've heard uh, Camille, pa how do you Pagli. say it? Pagli? I always say it wrong. I think I've heard her talking about it as well. And uh, um, it, it does bear out at least in, with the people that I know, uh, it's, that seems to be the case. They can justify their viciousness or hostility because they, they are doing it on behalf of, or they believe they're doing it on behalf of, you know, quote, marginalized people, so. Sure, sure. And, and uh, you know, I'm in that group too. I never had kids. You know, right. I'm, I was an SJW who, my purpose in life, going back to, you know, talking about taking, when you, when you take God out of things and then you have like this hole maybe um, that you're trying to fill with other things, I, that my ideology was my religion. You know, I felt my purpose was pushing this belief system and i felt okay. like it gives you a sense of community a sense of belonging a sense yeah. of purpose it's it provides the things that you kind of need right but ultimately it's hollow and it's hollow and it's also um it it convinces people that they're they're pushing something that's the opposite of what they're actually pushing in, in my opinion so i feel right. like i was a, a foot soldier for this evil belief system truly and uh, that I thought I was doing good, but it's the exact opposite. It's like you're pushing this thing that you don't even understand. Um, yeah. That has you, it's like, it, 
what's that quote about a uh, uh, people don't have ideas, ideas have people. It's like that, it's like this ideology has you in its grips and you don't even understand the very thing you're pushing. And this goes back to a lot of people when I talk about it with people who who clearly, maybe they're new to SJWism, but they're preaching to me, you know, and they, as if I've never heard these concepts before. And I'm like, look, I've, I was preaching this for 20 years. It's not that I don't understand the concept of white privilege, okay? It's that I don't agree with you anymore. And um, if you start to talk to them about what the ideology really is and to try and get into it in depth with them, they don't even understand Marxism so how could they understand that what they're preaching is a form of Marxism? You know, I didn't. And so right. it almost becomes hard to talk about because their understanding and their, their historical context is so shallow. So now, I, my job is not to defend SJWs, but I, okay. I, I will a little bit for fun. Go ahead. I, I feel like that's also just a general characteristic of most humans who um, are not really independent thinkers or maybe have some some emotional reasons why they can't independently think and the, the thing i'll cite about that is um i'll give two examples one is i you know i grew up a fundamentalist christian i read the bible i got up at five in the morning and read the bible every day for years i've read the bible cover to cover several times way more than your average christian has ever read the bible now i'm rusty yeah, it has been 20 years but um you know i remember when i became an atheist it was like so many earnest Christians were like, oh, you just don't understand. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, you, you have, your knowledge of the Bible is zip compared to mine. Like, you don't have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I like I know that really well. You might be able to try in some arguments I haven't heard, but like everything that they said, it was never anything I hadn't heard. It was all stuff that I knew and I preached, right? right. Um, and so, but I think that's just a, that's not, and that's not even a dig at Christianity, even though I'm an atheist. It's, it's a dig at, like, I think people don't want to understand uh, deeply. And and actually, there's a um, there's a great I'm being, I'm being a subversive atheist. Sorry, there's a there's a great uh, there's a great I think it's a CD, an old whatever audio performance thing um, that Julia Sweeney does called "Letting Go of God." She was the actress who played Pat on Saturday Night Live back oh, in the sure. day. Sure. And um, she she basically ends up an atheist at the end of this three hours three hour story. But the reason that she ends up an atheist is because she takes takes religion seriously and investigates it. And um, whether you agree with that conclusion or not, and she kind of walks through. It's a very like it's it's um it's sincere and authentic mm -hmm. feeling, funny as well. It's a fun listen. But um, you know, even if you disagree with her conclusion, that you gotta you gotta understand that like. You you have to admit, I think that most people that have any belief system don't really study it deeply and, and really understand what it is. And the other example I'll give really quickly is uh, I'm a crypto. I was a cryptographer for a long time. I've been I've been rusty, and this cryptocurrency thing has come along. And because I do uh, angel investing and startup advising, a lot of times I get called into these blockchain companies, and inevitably they they introduce me to their blockchain expert. And they're like, oh yeah, this is our blockchain expert. He's going to do X, Y, Z and design this new thing. And he's a he's a guy. And you know, five minutes into the conversation, I come to the realization that they don't understand basic elements of cryptography. And it's like, <laughs> oh, there's like that's that's normal. People just like do the thing. It's it's blockchain's popular, so everyone's a blockchain expert. And um, or or their people around them are, and like they just kind of feel like they're experts now. And yeah. 
feel like the same thing happens with almost any group of with just like belief systems like that. Um, yeah. And and well, you just made me think of something else too. Um, and and maybe this could go back to the theme of personal responsibility. Um, when when you're talking about people pretending to be experts on something that they haven't really investigated that thoroughly. I started noticing, so one, one of the commitments I made was that I'm going to try and not express an opinion anymore in, unless it's something that I have read or watched or thought about for a while. And I'm going to try and get used to saying the, the sentence, I don't know enough about that to have an opinion on it. Mm -hmm. And when I started trying to do that, I realized how, how many people, how many of us don't do that everybody's out like offering opinions all the time on stuff that they haven't, they haven't taken the responsibility to actually investigate the thing that they're offering up an opinion on. So even yesterday I was in a discussion with someone who about coming back to Peterson, but about Jordan Peterson and he's calling Peterson a misogynist and all this. I'm like, so what, what book of his did you read? What lecture? Please tell me, I'd like to know, you know, so because I've read his book and I actually hosted a video book club where we discussed his book every other week. And it was mostly women, okay? And like I, I went to his book, the, the most recent one, uh, Twelve Rules for Life, yeah. And we're currently reading Jonathan Haidt's uh, The Righteous Mind. But that club is mostly women, okay? I went to see his show uh, in Austin, Texas. It, it was like half women. I, I, right. I, I truly, <laughs> I haven't heard anything he said that I would in any way classify as misogynist. So. Please, no. he's like, not on the right. Actually, if you know him, like he's not on the right. That's just like they clear from even if you don't know him from read, reading his book and watching his videos, he's not on the right. But no. you get people like this guy who was talking to me who has not read his book, has not taken the time to watch any of his lectures, and then ha is full of opinions about him. And I'm like, do you not realize that those opinions are implanted in you now? And this is the same person. It, Earlier in our conversation, he thought I was a conservative and he said something like some kind of insult about, you know, you get all your opinions from Fox News. I'm like, again, you have no insight into yourself. Take yeah. the friggin' log out of your own eye. You know, <laughs> like you are sitting here spouting off at the mouth about stuff you haven't even looked into. And doesn't that bother you? Isn't that concerning? Like, take a second and think about that. Somebody has put their opinions in your head. You are a mouthpiece for somebody else's opinions. Isn't that upsetting? I get really angry about this. And, and it, I, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. I used to do that all the time. And I still, I still have to, it's a continual thing every day to try and make sure I don't fall into that again. Uh, because it, it's so easy just to, take, just to take whatever your tribe is saying and take it as gospel and then go out and preach to other people. But I'm like, how arrogant is that? You know, you're talking to a woman who's taken the time to read his book and discuss it with people weekly and to watch lectures and to actually dig deep into what he's saying. You haven't done any of that. And you're telling me it's misogynist. Is this where I get to say, check your male privilege and shut the F up? Like, <laughs> you know, I don't believe in that, by the way. I don't believe in telling men to check their privilege, but this guy probably does. So I can, can I use that now? Doing well, so don't worry. Um, yeah, no, I, you're totally right. In fact, I, uh, years ago I had an experience with a friend. She was, um, her, her, the fact that she was a minority will matter in a minute, but she was a quote marginalized female. Mm -hmm. Uh, and she borrowed my copy of Atlas Shrugged and she was reading it in, in a, there's a carpool thing in San Francisco where you can like, 
uh, people pick you up on one side of the bridge and drop you off downtown so they can use the HOV lane. And there's like this organized carpool thing. It's called rideshare. So she was uh, doing rideshare. And um, someone picked her up and saw, you know, she's, she wasn't the most social person in the world. So she just sat there and read. And, uh, and the lady that was drawing said, that book is racist. She's a racist and that book is racist. And my friend was like, really? She was only like a third of the way through or something at the time. She's like, really? I, I, I haven't seen anything like that yet. Really? And, and the lady said, oh, you, should, you shouldn't even read it. She's racist. And he said, well, oh, um, did, did you read this book? Like, where are the racist parts? I'll go, I'll go look at it. <laughs> and, and the lady's like, well, I haven't read it. I would never read that. <laughs> all right. Like, it's all right. Well, then, then you can't tell me the book is racist. Right? You, don't, uh, you don't get to have an opinion. You, you're not even speaking your own opinion. You're speaking somebody else's opinion. I, I find this hilarious. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this yeah. story with me because it's, no, and it happens it's every day. Hmm? No, go ahead. Oh no, it just it just happens every day. It's ubiquitous. If you if you start to try and do it, at least in, in my experience, when I started to try and make sure I wasn't saying things that uh, were not based on me actually having investigated it, well, then I was like, wow, you start to see it everywhere, and you're like, wow, this is, it's just all around us, and people don't question it, and they they feel it's like the sense of entitlement and arrogance that I get to have an opinion and hold court on this thing that I don't. I haven't looked at it all, you know. I haven't, haven't. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's. Oh, fun. Well, I, there's been a couple of comments in the in the in the yeah. chat here that are that are interesting, and one of them I actually want to get to RVA Photo Girl's comment about codependency in a minute. But but mm -hmm. first, uh, Hex Rex, uh, said is it talks about like everyone has implanted opinions that's walking around today, and um, I don't know. They're saying it's hardwired. Social templates are hardwired into DNA, like that. I would agree with like the uh, the dominance hierarchy and that stuff. I get that. Um, but there is some legitimacy to, uh, like, you actually don't have time, resources, or the ability to first get firsthand knowledge about everything. So there's some legitimacy to, like, trusting experts' opinions to some degree on some things. It's just, um, you know, so it's, to me, there's, like, balance. Of, like, it, it's okay to do that. You don't have to, like... Uh, I, I guess you can have an opinion about, like, oh, I think this person is fat because all they do is not exercise and eat a lot of ice cream, right? Um, you can And you can have that opinion and, and have a discussion about it. But if that discussion is with someone who's, like, an expert in obesity and nutrition and they're disagreeing with you and citing some other reason, well, that's when you have to, like, you have to stop and listen and be like, oh, you have more information than I do. Like, yes. give me more information. I have a little bit of information which is maybe valid sometimes for many, many cases, but you have more information. Um, tell me the more information and I'm open to changing my opinion. But so it's, for me, I'm less, uh, quote, triggered. I'm going to use the word triggered. I'm less, I'm, I'm, it's less bothersome to me when people uh, have opinions that aren't uh, maybe super well-researched than it is if the, it, like, it doesn't become super bothersome to me and they push back, right? Yeah. Until like, until you say, well, why do you think that? Or I, or I disagree, and I think this other thing. If they push back with no backing to what they're saying, that's when it gets to be really bothersome to me. If they just say, like, oh, I think she's a racist, and you say, oh, why? And they're like, you know what? I don't know why. Like, I heard it. And yeah. like, okay, fine. It, I, yeah, I heard it, and, you know, I kind of agree because I heard it from this friend of mine who I trust. And like, But then this other person, can, then you can have a real conversation. And then it's like, well, 
you know, I haven't read anything and I've read everything she's ever written and I don't think she's racist and, and ask your friends to point to some examples, right? Um, that just to me is a much more honest, like I have an opinion, but I recognize that it's not fact because, you know, I haven't, I haven't researched this myself. I don't, I can't back it up. I don't know. To me, there's a slight difference there. I agree. Um, I think, I think I absolutely agree. We have to, you know, I make, I form opinions all the time based on trusting people I respect and you don't, we don't have time to research every little thing. I guess it's more, it's if you're going to hold forth and be so confident and so arrogant, you should have at least- Moral judgment without the ability to back it up. Yeah, without the ability to back it up. And and what you're talking about is you have to have humility to say, well, I think she's a racist, why? Well, I don't know, I heard that. That that requires humility. Most, sure. I, I just see people are so full of themselves and so full of uh, hubris you know, and, and, and so anyway, I think you're right. Yeah. Well, I, the last thing I know we're kind of over, but this is a fun conversation and I really want to talk about this a little bit, at least touch on it. Um, cause I think this comment from RVA photo girl is completely correct. She says large amounts of codependency seems to be in play in just about everything being discussed. And, um, I, I, I don't think I could agree more with that statement. I think we are in, uh, I think one of the one of the results of childhood trauma is codependent relationships and and not just romantic relationships, but um, almost almost every kind of relationship in in your life. And I've certainly been in codependent relationships in in the past in my life. And uh, there's a book called Codependency No More, which Codependency No More, which helped helped me out a little bit on some of it and as well as therapy. But codependency is extremely common. And uh, I think she's kind of spot on in that. There is a lot of uh, codependency and, and frankly, probably a lot of re-traumatization that happens when when these people get together in codependent relationships. Uh, you know, and SJWism is, is probably an example of a, a group that has that dynamic. I think it's so. It's time for you. Brilliant. No, I was just thinking I need to read that book. <laughs> My own personal reasons. It's just the one I happened to read that was useful. So, but all right. Um, I mean, we've we've gone over an hour. This has been super fun. Um, thank you everyone for being in the chat. It's fun to have. We're like our audience is still small, Carrie, but we're growing a little bit, and so um, we're How starting to I get chat, which is a lot of fun. So, can I see the chat? Oh, you can't see it. I thought you could see it from where you are. Oh, I think you just have to go on. Watch okay. on YouTube. We'll figure it out for next time. RBO Photo Girl, she likes the the book, the uh, codependency is some more. So there's two recommendations for you, Carrie. Oh, thank you. Um, but, uh, yeah. So again, uh, thank you, Carrie. Thanks, um, we do this just as a reminder to everyone. Well, Carrie, why don't you? Do you have any final words? Because you're the one you're going to give us final positive words of inspiration. Why don't I let you do that? Final positive words of inspiration. Mm -hmm. um, well, if there's anybody watching who is in the that part of the left and maybe disagreeing with what I've been what we've been saying or uh, I would just say, I don't know, I guess I would just say look at your life, look at the things that maybe have gone wrong and try and figure out if you had any if you had any um, responsibility for some of those things and if there's anything you could do differently and maybe maybe quit trying to um, it's it's so easy to just blame other people and to blame the other side and to blame the man or whatever. But it's much harder, I think, to try and look at ourselves critically, um, but much more rewarding 
to do that. So that be yeah, that. I think that's that's some great advice. And um, we didn't talk about personal responsibility as much as I planned to, but we we kind of we touched on it a little bit. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that's I think that's great advice. And you know, a lot of people we want to talk about freedoms, um, but freedom is a two-headed coin. The other side of it is personal responsibility. So um, it's it's fun to be excited about freedoms that you might have, but uh, every freedom comes with responsibility. And so, um, but it is rewarding. So yeah, I would I would encourage people to do that. We've all struggled with uh, we've all struggled with irresponsibility in our lives. So uh, it's definitely. Definitely rewarding, but but hard work. So thank you, Carrie. Uh, as a reminder, every week at this time, what, 11 a.m. Pacific time on Thursdays, mm -hmm. we show, which Carrie and I call Deprogrammed, where, uh, in Carrie's words, we will unravel this SJW ideology one week at a time, or one episode at a time. Was that your mm -hmm. phrase? Yeah. That's our, you know. Uh, so you can come hear this discussion. Uh, every week, please join us. Also, uh, feel free to send us info on um, like stuff you want us to talk about, either in the chats or you know you can go to unsafeshow.com and just say, hey, this is I want to um, you know, why don't you guys talk about this or post it on YouTube or whatever. You can also follow us on Twitter at unsafe show and uh, I don't know Patreon, all that kind of fun stuff. Patreon.com/unsafe-space. Uh, so thank you everyone again for for joining, and we will. I will see you before next week, but Carrie and I together will see you next week at 11. Bye, guys.